In this episode, we're talking tough with Naomi Peter, choreographer, founder of Black Pride NL, organizer of Pundi Pride, and she's also one of the driving forces behind Black Lives Matters NL and Kick Out Blackface. She also has 24 hours in a day, but we want to know how she does it. Welcome, Naomi Peter. Yeah. Woo! Yes, yes, yes. Hey, Naomi, how are you? Yes, I'm good. I'm good. Happy to be here. Very humbled also for the invitation. So thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, life is okay. I'm alive. I'm healthy, I think. <laughs> and yeah, I'm good. We're here with Talking Tough. What is your definition of tough? Whoa. In general. That's it. Make tough. it big, make it small, whatever. That's a tough definition question. of tough. What? Okay, okay. Some might call me tough. Some might call life tough. Some might, some, might, some would call the movement or organizing and activism tough. Love can be tough. A lot of things can be tough. So it's it's a big question that I can relate to from different perspective. It's a word that I'm not afraid of. For something to be tough or to go through this process. So I don't know. It's a word that that can indicate something, can scare you, but at the same time also can motivate you. If it's tough, let's go. Let's go. Sometimes it's worth it when something is tough. What is tough about you? We. Um, <laughs> I would say sometimes my personality, my attitude <laughs> might be tough. Your personality, Some, your attitude? Yes. I wouldn't call my politics tough, although I think maybe certain people would call my politics tough. Mm-hmm. But uh, What type of people? I would say people who might have a problem that the world can be a place for everyone. People who might have a problem with giving up their comfort or their privileges or people who might not want to see people flourish on all different kinds of level because they want to keep power or spaces all to themselves. So I think those people. Mm. Can you recall a moment that you wish that you can turn back a moment that you maybe chickened out and wasn't that tough? Ooh. Like maybe a special moment or a moment that you felt like, I'm never going to be in this type, this situation again. Damn, that's a real good question. Hey, that's <laughs> what we do. That's, that's, that's talking tough. Tough questions. Um, <laughs> it could be anything, though. Yeah, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I'm thinking about a moment that I wish that I did something else. I would say... Actually, more on a personal level. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm super shy when it comes to like talking to women or talking to people or you know expressing my feelings or you know making a move or something. And sometimes, sometimes I wish that I was tough in that sense and made a move on somebody. So it's not a particular person. It's more of an attitude that I wish that I had. So <laughs> I'm a if I can just dive into that a little oh gosh, bit. Oh yeah, I'm getting <laughs> so, 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 there, so, 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 so if so like Jill, for example, you'd sit here next to Jill, you think she's really nice. Would you like walk by her and just check her out? Or would you like 
try would, to move, like sit next to her. I think I would become super awkward and try to stay behind, as it, like on the other way, and try to have a distance or just be super duper awkward or have like certain flirty moments that may might not be appropriate because I'm super awkward. So I'm more of an awkward person. So I, I might be like, so. I relate to that. I might, you know, distant or just be like. You know, make weird jokes or I don't know, just <laughs> yeah. awkward. Nobody laughs this <laughs> Shit, I'm getting nervous. Yeah. Can you tell me about a, a decision you had to make, like recently, a, a decision that you found found tough? Recently, oh, woo. actually, yes. Uh, Only if you would like to share, of course. Um, I'm, 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 I'm not gonna share names or things, but. Recently, somebody asked me if they could live with me. And I have a house in Amsterdam. Yeah, I live in Amsterdam and I have a house and I have a spare room now. Mm -hmm. And this person is very, very, very dear to me. Mm -hmm. But uh, I also had also a person who's very dear to me move out of the house. So my roommate, he moved out of the house. And actually, this was a moment for me that I, sh um, to, uh, a moment for me to learn that to stay on my boundaries. Because at a certain point, you can let people into your houses or into your spaces because you want to help. But then there's a thin line between helping and overstepping your boundaries. And sometimes if you're not clear on your own boundaries, people can overstep. Not always intentionally, but mm. they can overstep. And for me, that this person asked me if they could live in my house, I was like, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do this. And it's a very, very deep person to me. And it was it's a really hard decision because if this person would have asked me maybe a few months ago or a year ago, I would have said yes. Knowing that uh, it, it is overstepping my boundaries, but I want to help. So I'm learning a lot about my own boundaries and mm -hmm. trying to keep them clear also to people, also to my loved ones. And is that then speaking out right in that moment and like connecting to that feeling? Or is that like taking a step back and saying like, hey, let me come back to you tomorrow or whatever. A and combination, then... a combination. Sometimes you really, because of course I'm busy in this process of getting to know my boundaries and standing on them, be like, yo, uh-uh, until this point. But sometimes with loved <clears throat> ones or yeah, other ones that are close to you, it's a thin line. It's a really thin line that you can easily overstep because you want to help. And um, sometimes you do have to come back to that. With this person, I thought about it because I felt that this was coming. So I thought <laughs> yes. about it already, you know, I was already busy with it and waiting for the moment to come. And then the moment came and I was clear. No, this is not gonna happen. But at the same time, I feel this urge of, oh my God, but I do want to help. Oh my God, but then who's going to help this person if not me, you know? Mm -hmm. Feel like you're the only one that, they, that, that that can help. And that's also bullshit. Mm -hmm. You know, that's also bullshit. Yeah. So it's a combination of listening, but also um, knowing your ground, knowing your boundaries, but at the same time coming back, listening, Checking into yourself. How do I feel? How do you how do you want to negotiate these feelings also towards your loved one or other people? And it's a process. But um, I'm happy that I did. I'm happy that I'm growing into this. And I feel that the universe is testing me. You know, putting this person and this in this moment of life to ask me this question. I feel really the universe is testing me. Are you learning from 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 your mistakes? Mm -hmm. 
are you learning from those moments or are you keep going with them? Because yeah, normally I would have said, yes, come on, of course I would help you. Where does this come from, this desire to help? Um, I think being, having to be a person that needed help mm. and also still needs help mm. on different layers of in the, on different layers of life, yes. But I was a person that really, really needed a lot of help growing up. So mm. this is a little bit, I guess, the the, the recognition. Yeah, and wanting wanting to give back or not even give back, but keep helping, mm. keep being in that process of helping because you know what it means to need help, to need mm. people, to just need that little bit of humanity to look at you and say, hey, you know what? I'm gonna help you. Or here, there's some money you can eat. Or here's there's a bed. And sometimes that that little bit of humanity, I. I'm happy that some people around me gave me that. So that's why I wanna, I wanna, yeah. I wanna stay, keep that, and share that with other people if I can, of course, yeah. without overstepping my boundaries. Very important. Mm -hmm. um, you're a very well-known person in the LGBTQA plus community. You organize Pondy Pride. You're part of uh, 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 the Black Lives Matters movement in. Holland, people see you on their social media or on the TV or read about you. But what is the biggest misconception people have about you? That I hate white people. That's mm. one. People really think that I hate white people. <laughs> like, this is the biggest bullshit that I feel that is out there. One, that I hate white people. Second, that I don't want to connect. I feel that a lot of times, or people respond to me with this kind of judgment or illusion of, you know, uh, um, that I don't want to connect with other people, that I'm a separatist. At some mm. point, it's okay to be a separatist. But I feel a lot of times people have this kind of idea of, uh, of, of being pro-black or being uh, anti-racist means you hate white people. How? <laughs> so I deal a lot of with this judgment. And... How do you deal with that then? How do I just say that ain't true or go into a dialogue <laughs> and then explain how I see certain things or so why I say certain things? I would understand you not always have the energy to go into those type of dialogues. Sure. So when, when do you say like, you know what, I'm gonna just delete this message or... Sometimes I just don't respond. Sometimes it's on the time. Sometimes I'm just having days or, you know, things are just too much. So I don't engage with them. Sometimes I have energy. I'm like, bitch, this... Please come search for me, because today I have the energy for you. Mm -hmm. It really depends. It's really like it's it's really like this. Um, so I don't always engage with them, and sometimes I do. I think that, and maybe the business, yeah, maybe that I'm always angry. Hmm. I think that I, was. I find that quite interesting that you're mentioning that because if I look at you and everything you do and your mm -hmm. your fight and your um, and your fight for equality, all I see is love. And I don't yeah. see hate. Um, Thank you. What is, what is fighting for uh, equality is love. Definitely. Definitely. I think if you have hate for humanity, you wouldn't get up and fight for equality. Mm -hmm. If you hate the world, you will not get up and do, of those, do all of those things. If you don't have hope that the world can change, why would you get up and try to, you know, mm. support or try to hint or try to... 
participate in the fight for freedom or the fight for justice or the fight for equality. Just participate. And I truly believe that. So it's interesting that when people respond to me from this anger and all this misconception, but if people would look on the inside or what would really, um, what really um, drives me, it's beyond the anger. Mm. It's beyond anything that is physical in this world. It's beyond all of this, at least for me. Mm. But, uh, and beyond this, I mean that it's a bigger thing. It's a spirituality. It's a love. It's something that you cannot grasp. Mm. It is beyond this, beyond all labels, beyond all you know, institutions and man-made structures. It's beyond all of this. Mm. But how to get there? It's like the wholeness. Yes, of the wholeness. Yes, yes. It's I think beyond. that's that's also that's also interesting. Like this whole wholeness thing, and um, because that's I think also, um, or I read a lot, or I, I read an article of the uh, Duriel Brooks is his name, and he says that um, in order to to help people, and in order to empower your community you have to go through a process of healing, which has to do with wholeness, mm. um, being unapologetic, uh, then creating a new concept of love, moving away from the fixed concept of love we have in society. And then, and then the next step is empowering your, your own community. And I think what you just mentioned also, why you want to help is that you're coming from a place where um, you didn't got the help. Nope which is maybe like looking into this trauma. It is. It is very much looking into yeah. this. It's very, I think that's also a side that is not a lot of talked about is the trauma side of activists or why people do things. Yeah, why people do things or how they go about doing those things. Mm -hmm. And a lot of things has to, do, has to do with trauma. Trauma in our past, maybe trauma that we're enduring right now because of activism, mm -hmm. because of other things, you know, are different reasons. But I don't want to say everybody's driven by trauma. Mm -hmm. I know that I'm for a big part driven by trauma. <laughs> I know that I am. So, you know, I just, yeah, I like to reflect on myself and how I go beyond, how I go around it. But what you, what you are um, stating, it is a process, mm -hmm. you know, it's a whole process of going through the trauma, trying to hear yourself and in the process of healing, hopefully healing the community yeah. with you. Because, and not only because of your personal trauma, but trauma of racism, trauma of capitalism, trauma of all white supremacy, tra mm -hmm. trauma of all of this bullshit, trauma of having, you know, of nationality, <laughs> trauma of borders, <laughs> you know, it's all these kind of traumas. And then how do we... Um, um, how do we heal? How do we heal? How do yeah. we heal in a society that all of the structures are still around us and we have to move around them and we have to navigate them? How do you do that? I, I'm also doubting, do you think that all people need to heal or do society need to heal? Like I'm always thinking, sometimes we just like mentioning the people who need to heal, but I think a bigger problem is society that needs Oof. to heal. And I'm wondering if yeah. I'm, if my my thing is right, my, my, I, I'm, it, I, think, I think you're right. I think it's end-end because mm. at the same time, people inhabit society, right? So I think it's end-end. I think the society, uh, the structures, the way it's created, it's, it's, it's sick, mm. you know? And um, yeah, I think society needs yeah. a lot of healings yeah. on different levels. 
and at the same time a lot of personal healing. But I guess as also being a black body, talking, talking about healing for me goes really thinking about ancestral healing also, really thinking about, thinking about all the traumas that I carry with me, you know, from generations on generations on generations. So therefore, there's also a personal healing. In that personal healing is a collective healing because yeah. as a collective, as a collective, as a collective, we endured some of the trauma, right? So it's the same with COVID right now. We are in a collective trauma. How are we dealing with this? How are we moving with this? And yeah, I don't know. All the dirt comes up. Oh. It feels like that. And that's, I think, where we are healing from now at the moment. And that's where we should find each other in love again. Yeah, like in your whole work, love is a big part. Mm -hmm. And in that last, last part of healing is also a lot of like black joy. And I think that's what you do with Pondy Pride. Um, uh, where you bring the joy in and where you have created space where people can celebrate and celebrate each other. And I was wondering how you create such a space. Um, how well you walk into the Melkweg or any club yeah. and you say like, yo, I have an idea. No, nope. <laughs> that's, that's the, no. Um, like, okay, Panda Pride. Panda Pride is a dance hall party, mm. uh, Caribbean party centering uh, black LGBT bodies. Why? This has a lot to do, again, with myself, trying to heal myself, trying to find spaces for myself and not having them. Mm -hmm. And Panda Pride is also, um, so it's one, it's a response to uh, the way that clubbing, you know, mm -hmm. clubbing, dancehall clubbing, just clubbing in general is organized, Caribbean clubbing. Also, it is, I feel, a way of activism. Mm -hmm. You know, can we do activism in a way that it gives us pleasure? Mm. Can it be pleasurable? Can we find structures uh, that we can be, I don't know, say, uh, you know, fuck you to the system, but at the same time taking care of ourselves? Giving especially black LGBT bodies, black POC bodies, a safe space to say fuck you against the system, to say a fuck you to, uh, to a world or clubs that people cannot be themselves in. Especially thinking about dancehall, thinking about whining, thinking about Caribbean music. A lot of times people think you can't be gay and you can't be, LGBT, you can't be black and LGBT. If I think about certain spaces that I've worked in, of, that I've been in as a black LGBT body, in relation to dancehall, in relation to going out with my girlfriend or my other friends and dancing with each other and then having cis, cis men standing, filming, watching and just watching us, enjoying us, enjoying mm. the fun that I had with my girlfriend as if my... Uh, my um, fetishizing it. Yeah, fetishizing as if my moment, as if my relationship is something for cis men to enjoy, yeah, enjoy yeah, of. Yeah. Your as existence. If, as if, yeah. you know, it's anyway, it's a super, super uncomfortable, violent thing going out sometimes in straight places. So Panda Pride is a safe first space because, hey, I cannot say safe space because safe means different things for everybody. Mm -hmm. So a safer and a place to whine against the system. It's a way, you know, a new way or an other way of activism. And this black joy is super important in a society, again, that tells you you cannot be who you want to be. Mm -hmm. Or 
I had people coming to me and saying, yo, I feel home. I feel home in the sense of thinking about the Jamaica, thinking about Barbados, thinking about the Curacao, Suriname, thinking about all of these countries where, um, unfortunately, due to colonialism, et cetera, et cetera, we have homophobia in our uh, communities that we have to deal with. <sighs> can, But, can, can you explain that? Why, why has that something to do with colonialism? Well, because like homophobia and um, other, and also, To call it homophobia is also not the right word. I don't know if you if you a little bit are read in homophobia and homo um, homo misia. Phobia means that it's something that um, like it's a, a relation to mental health, mental mental sickness, mental health, and homo misia. I'm not really uh, educated in this word yet. Homo misia misia would. Uh, relate more to the hatred and the bigotry that comes with it instead of being a mental health issue. Mm -hmm. So calling it homophobia means that actually somebody has a mental health issue and that's not true. This is pure hatred. This is no phobia. Uh, it's like you have a phobia for insects. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But we are not insects. Yes. So you hate us. Exactly. So yeah, yeah, so this this is it's not that's a mental a thing. It's something that you're learned. You're not it's not a mental thing that you're mm -hmm. scared of uh, of queer people. You're learned to hate. By society. By society, or I don't know your friend or your family, or I don't know what you, how but your but culture why, is. Why or, has colonialism something to do with homophobia? Oh yeah, because um, uh, colonialism, um, the most of the countries that were colonized by the West or were colonized by yeah, they were colonized. They brought in, um, with all due respect to all who believe, they brought in religion. They brought other certain structures to colonize uh, other communities to. Um, yeah, how does it word? Um, I'm looking for a... Um, dominate? Not dominate, to... I don't want to say break. I'm looking for a, a deeper word. Uh, to, no, to destroy, to destroy uh, the communities that are there. They saw homophobia. They, no, so, Homo hate. They, no, they saw pe gay people living together. They saw communities that had, uh, where gay, being gay was something normal, where queerness was something normal, where we didn't even have words for, for people mm. who had the same sex relationship because they were normal. But then colonization happened. The church came, and I can only speak in relation to uh, Curacao, to being African descended, so I don't know about other cultures, but I can only speak from this perspective. And it's very evident that the church came, I can say, on the island. They came, of course, we were shipped there, but they came with their books, they came with the Bible, and they taught us how to love, how to organize ourselves. And something that religion or other, yeah, religion, especially religion, um, um, Christianity, um, one of the rules is, uh, one of the sins is a man, a man living with each, uh, lying with each other is a sin. It, 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 so, it's so hard to explain this in English because I know the text and the verse in Dutch. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know the verses it's in English. Sodomy, yeah. Yeah, because so I can really explain the verse in Dutch, but um, um, There are clear um, evidence of um, communities, structures being um, destructed, broken down by colonization. Um, if you look at other communities where you have the two spirited, two spirited communities, where it's a clearly also where it's clear that um, 
same-sex relationships or other gender expressions uh, were there before Western society, before we had, you know, before Western society. Mm-hmm. So you're mentioning colonialism in relation to homo-hate. Um, I know that there have been societies, you know, where where being gay or being trans was was normalized, like maybe ancient Egypt or, you know, the two-spirited people in uh, indigenous uh, Latin America, you know. How was that? How was that for your ethnic background? Yeah, actually the same. Um, like uh, we know that before colonization, before the slave trade, there were communities where uh, being queer were pretty normal. You had the African king who had, you know, uh, his harem was full with boys. Like it was normal. Boys is maybe a wrong word, but it was normal to have same-sex relationships and to have uh, kings who were queer or who were gay. But then colonization happened and did kind of this idea, this normalization were destroyed, is destroyed. And um, this is something that I also clearly researched or understood from my uh, island, from Curacao, uh, where the church and colonization played a real big role in uh, constructing our identity. Mm. So, um, yeah, understanding that homosexuality or being queer is not something that is uh, that is a white disease because that's something that a lot of uh, black gay I can only speak of black queer people uh, have to deal with that being gay is something that the white man brought for us yeah. and really thinking about um, there are uh, um, uh, how do you say this uh, stories evidence of uh, rape raping men raping black men was used as a way to dominate uh, the sl- those who were made to slaves so um, yeah same s- shifting the narrative basically yes, from same thing saying that yes. black or being Middle Eastern or whatever exactly. is opposing being queer right yes. because you can be both you can be both but you our history are, is not it's not being told basically exactly so, oh. so back to Pony Pride. Echt, hè? Shit, word, yeah. Being for, for a lot of people, like the, if I have this right, that this uh, homophobia for a lot of people, maybe they think that is something that comes from like uh, islands like Jamaica yeah. or like Curacao, but it's actually part of a colonial um, trauma exactly. that is led. Exactly. Exactly. How, how can we, because I think it's very important that we, um, that we share the stories more before colonization and like the, the, the same sex stories you were mentioning. How can, we, how can we share those stories more? Do you also do that with Pondy Pride? Like- no, I don't do that with Pondy Pride. Pondy Pride is really, it's just a way of releasing, coming together, enjoying yourself and um, taking in a, you know, dancing way, a political stand against injustice. But we also do the Black Queer Archives. And with the Black Queer Archives, we document actually Dutch LGBT, Black LGBT history, not um, other, not foreign or before colonization. in a way, I'm interested in that, but at the same time, I'm really interested in this black collective healing and this black liberation of 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 um, of 
yeah, breaking down all of these oppressive uh, ideas and structures within our society. So I'm really interested in this black liberation idea, black, yeah, yeah, mm. liberation. Where do you think we stand now? Like, obviously, this year, 2020, was a, was a very difficult year in terms of Black Lives Matter movement, uh, the pandemic, the United States and their election. Um, do, do you think this was the... Is this the beginning of something? Is this the end of something? You've been in this, you've been act, working as an activist, or busy as an activist for a longer time. So how do you see this current time? And do you have an idea of, of did you saw this coming? Something like this? Or do you feel like this is a new era? Woo. Um, I think if I go back to the moment on the dam, mm -hmm. first of June, um, the day before, We were busy, we organized the demo on the dam uh, uh, in one day, 24 hours. Because this was uh, maybe two weeks after George Floyd? Yeah, it was almost two weeks, one and a half week, because it was like, we need to do something now if we want to respond in the same time that the whole world is responding. Mm -hmm. So it was like, we need to respond now if you want to make this demonstration relevant. Um, also, yeah, anyway, um, I never ever, the moment that I came on the dam, or the moment that I was standing there, I stood up and I was chanting. I never expected so much people standing there. I never expected that. Mm -hmm. The most people that we organized through a kickouts for the beat uh, tour, yeah, to a kickouts for the beat uh, demonstration was like a thousand people. Mm -hmm. And the idea of having 10,000 people on the dam, I know this was, it's way more than 10,000. We know it's more than 10,000. But to have so much people on the dam, I never expected that. And I also never expected what happened after. Mm -hmm. But so, this was already in a phase where, and I was there, of, yeah. of course. But this, like, I was there because I was emotionally drained mm. already. I'm, what I'm trying to grasp on is, And this is also the time where a lot of people said, it's enough is enough. Mm -hmm. We're not explaining anymore. I just want to want to take you back to how we got to that point and if you saw that point coming and where is, are we now? Because now we are talking very much about uh, self-care and self and like and, and how we can how we can um, help each other and how we can um, um, how we can actually um, not be drained like that. So I'm just wondering, did you see this period coming and do no. you feel that it's the beginning of something no. new? again, again, I'm gonna start off again. I never expected so much people on the dam and I never expected what happened afterwards. Mm. I never expected so much demonstrations or that in total 60,000 people went on the streets. I never expect, expected this cultural, slightly cultural change that happened. No, I did not. I think none of us expected that. I think none of us expected that when Corona happened and we thought, okay, the world is done. <laughs> The yeah. world is done. There's no more hope for the world. We're all gonna die. <laughs> This was, I think, the general feeling that we all had. Yeah. So that moment on the dam for a lot of people was like a shifting point in different, on different ways. On a personal level, on a political level, on a spiritual level, on, I don't know, I don't know how much levels, but <laughs> it did something to society. It did something to the world. It did something to institution that had to do something with it. Everybody needed to respond to this moment and everybody is still responding. Mm -hmm. Now we come to this moment of self-care and all of those things and the fuck you moment. A lot of people standing there had this awakenings. 
a lot of people finally understood that they were black. So some people understood that, whoa, I'm white and I have, I have to do something. Some people had different kinds of awakenings. And I think that's beautiful. Indeed, you have this kind of uh, general feeling of self-care, of not giving a fucks anymore, of not stating that anymore. In a way, it's hard for me to relate to that because my process started many years before that. Mm -hmm. So... It can be. I see that also happening. People are on, on their Facebooks. Okay, I'm not staying quiet anymore. I've been quiet for so long. I'm. I, I also I'm have mad. a yes. I'm mad, and I also think that's worth a, be, a black beat is racist and those things. And I think it's beautiful. I, I I speak to people who say, Yo, I realize that I'm. I can be proud of my color. I I realize that I can say a fuck you to people. At the same time, all of these beautiful awakenings, it's also a double feeling, right? Because some of us who already had the awakenings a few years ago or many years ago, or always realized that they're black and moved around the society explaining people, yo, I'm black, you are freaking hurting me. Racism is real. For For those people, it's devastating. It's a paradox because now suddenly mm -hmm. after this moment that indeed, you know, you have this uh, American man who is being uh, uh, murdered for seven minutes long. After this moment, a lot of people in the Netherlands also felt, oh my God, I have to do something because of George Floyd. What about all the people that be working, doing, the, doing their thing here in the Netherlands? Mm -hmm. The work with Kaatse Pei, the work of um, Gloria Becker, the work of Phil Philomena Asset, the work of all of these people who have done the work for the Netherlands to wake the F mm -mm -mm -mm. up. Why did this need to happen for people to listen? That's a good question. That's a really good question. I don't know. I think a part of that is Corona. You know, Corona makes, yeah, unfortunately or fortunately, I don't know yet, for, force people to be at home, force people to stand still, to stand still. force yeah. people to, to think and hope and finally actually engage with their political thoughts, interests, or I don't know how you need, how you want to call it, but it forced people to stop, stand and listen. Mm -hmm. And this was, I guess, a nice part of what Corona brought in, you know, um, having this global pandemic, standing still, and then getting this, all of these videos, because it was not George Floyd, it was almost, uh, it was also Ahmed, Ahmed Aubrey, Aubrey, who also, Aubrey, yeah. who also uh, got oh, murdered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had Breonna Taylor, you had, um, um, but afterwards you have the... Um, many, many, many names. Many, many, many ma too many names. Yeah. So I guess also George Floyd was in combination with, I guess, the pandemic, mm -hmm. in combination with all of the injustice that we have been dealing with for, I don't know how many years, Corona coming, mm -hmm. making even more clear the injustice, and then standing still, getting all this footage, and then having to do something with it. Mm. So I think this is a little bit, um, 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 sums up a little bit the time. Yeah. And people not giving a fucks, people taking care of themselves is because I think a lot of people are awakening, mm. starting to engage in activism, I guess, in a way. Uh, Jill just said that she hears a lot of love when you yeah. preach mm. and speak. And do you feel like there is more love nowadays in society, that people are more loving of each other and more able to listen? Depends in which parts of society, though. <laughs> which parts of society and where. I think there is something happening. There is something changing. There is a general idea of 
uh, of, of, of love and loving each other. Mm. I think the queer community is further in this conversation than uh, cis society or straight society. Mm. I feel that, you know, the how queer community... It, how does it differ? Like black queer love and, and love or in general, like the structure, like the social structure of love? Because like... Uh, thinking about love, um, and I don't want to make a general idea of, oh, when you're black and this is the way that you have to think about love, but I think um, the idea of love that is presented to us by the world is like this white, cis, cis um, straight kind of love. Yeah. And I feel that being black, in relation to being black and queer and love, that we have to organize, navigate a lot of structures to love understand love, to be loved, um, if I say it correctly, because I'm also navigating this a lot. But um, also in relation to, to black bodies, how much do you see that? How much? I, I did a photo shoot for Black Pride. We were searching for black gay relationships. It was so hard to find black gay couples. Mm. It was Black queer women, that was easy. But like black gay men, relationships, this was so hard. And just, I know that a lot of, and uh, yeah, a lot of black gay men, a lot of black gay people, black LGBT people, they, they mistrust each other mm -hmm. because of... Uh, um, or, they, or, they, or they go for, for a white guy because, you know, it's safe. Just the mistrusting of each other, yeah. the mistrusting, not feeling safe with each other. So you have to imagine that my love, my black love, creates a mistrust, mistrust, mistrust mm -hmm. with another black body. Mm -hmm. How? With my body, instead of a other black body, see it as love, see it actually as something that is mistrusting, or how does the word? Violent. Violent. Yeah. Something that you... Hostile. Host Thank you, I was working for hostile. Something that is hostile. So how do you navigate if... If you see another black body, and I, want to, I don't even want to call it yourself, but what if you see another black body as hostile, or something that is violent, something that you cannot love, or you cannot be loved by? Mm. How do you love? Yeah, we need to reconstruct the, the love, I think. Yes, next, yeah, next to that, yeah, definitely need to deconstruct. But how do you then navigate love relationships? And then mm. you come to, diff how do you organize them differently? Because you have to organize them differently if you have the layer of violence, mistrusting, um, internalized racism. Mm. You know, mm. how do you, it, it's, it's hard. What's I don't have, I don't have, and so that's why I say it, it, that's why I ask questions because I don't have the answers. Those things are super hard. And I guess we're figuring it out as a community. And I hope that a lot of people more, I hope for a lot of people, for all of us as a community, that we, that we dare to start loving each other. Mm -hmm. That we dare and not loving as in uh, romantic, but love as, I don't know, uh, as a force to create communities. Love as a force to wanting to come together and heal and take a stand against injustice. Love as, yo, I care about you and I want us to, 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 to be safe and I want us to be 
I don't know. Love to I, understand I, that there's not only space for one of us in the room. I, I have like, hey. there's like this, um, this research I was re referring to has a new uh, construction of love yeah. or a new definition. And I will, maybe that could be a definition. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm, I'm gonna, just gonna read it. Um, <clears throat> to love blackness and queerness is to give self-care, to demand it for others, to fight the status quo, to resist, as to create the conditions for black queer people to live their own lives on their own terms, liberation. If we teach a critical theory of love that centers black queer struggle and resistance, the act itself becomes an act of resistance. Hey. That's why Panda Pride, dancing, yeah. just loving yourself, <coughs> that becomes an act of resistance. Mm. Loving each other. So, yeah, yeah. Yup. Yeah. Yup. I think that's um, also something that we should fight for much more for and push that all together much more forward as we do now. Exactly. Um, I think one of, yeah, no. That's no, I think like if we, in order, that, that's what I, like if you, if you feel that you can be loved, there's also massive healing. Hey. And um, yeah, I think maybe if you, if you always feel different or that love is not for you, then you will never get this self-love. And I think I, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I can say that, but I can imagine that it's like that, but. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, just think also if you think about never seeing your kind of love back on television, mm. never back represented, never back in movies, but I grew up seeing white gay cis men kissing each other on TV. Like <laughs> that's something normal in a lot of movies. Like that's 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 the general idea, you know, cis gay men. But what if you don't see you back in movies in different kinds of LGBT representations? Only see yourself yeah. as the enemy. Yes, or only as the enemy. Yeah. Or only as something that is dirty, that is sick, that is, I don't or know. The exotic. The exotic. Yeah. I had an awakening very much when I watched, um, what's the movie? It's a, the movie, I, don't, I forgot the name. You might know it when I, when I give the scenario. Like it's a black, a black guy and a black woman, they're on their first date. It's a Tinder date. And um, it's very interesting to see how black, how black bodies, when they first date and meet each other, um, there is no way of, you, you're both black. Yeah. You're both aware of it. If I'm dating a, a white male or a white female, I can so easily hide behind my blackness and talk about like how I succeed in society and how this person is great. And this, the end of the evening, we're kissing. Two months later, we're fucking. Three months later, we're having a relationship. But five months later, this person finds out that one thing that person said was pretty racist and that it makes me feel like this or that. So back to that scene and that movie, it's really showed me how <clears throat> as a black person, um, when I date or see another black person, um, there's nowhere to hide. Hey. I cannot hide. I can only show myself. And it also makes this first date not the most fun date. No. It make, <laughs> you know, it's like you both have to kind of show who you are. Like there's no hiding from it. And then at some point you, 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 you show your insecurities. You show... You can sh you can show your scars or the, or the things mm. the things that really made you uh, into this person, 
And then this person sees, sees you and accepts you and touches you. And then you feel the magic and love from this black body, which is like you. And that is something I'm not going to cry. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not definitely, I'm just joking. But that is something I haven't, you know, that's something I haven't actually really had. And if it wasn't for that freaking movie, mm. I wouldn't have seen it. I wouldn't have understood it that mm. clearly. And I couldn't also not have teached it or shared it. And it's so much, it like struck me how, like when people say like, yeah, representation. Yeah. yeah, of course, I want to see this commercial. I want to see myself and I want to see things that I want to buy as well because I also earn money, whatever. But like to see something, to think about it, touch it, and then be able to share it so you can share it, so you can share it, so... Experience. Experience it. These effects, they, they, they happen on such a... They can happen on such a micro level. It's... it's um, Snap. It's, yeah, it's yeah. really touching. Yeah, there's something about, at least for me, um, I like to state it like this, and uh, anyway, that there's something special about being with a black body. And I'm not saying that uh, as a... As a ex Exclusive, as exclusiveness, mm -hmm. because you know, everybody should date whatever they want to date. But for this reason, for this reason that you're explaining, for this not hiding, for this moment of being complete yourself, for mm -hmm. this touch that understands you beyond words, mm -hmm. you know? You're enough. And, and indeed, that you're enough. And that indeed you can show your scars because, hey, we might know each other's scars. We mm -hmm. might have the same ones, maybe in different ways, but we might carry the same ones. And mm -hmm. To have this with a person and actually to move beyond words, because sometimes I can imagine at least to, to, to not share. I don't want to say how certain things were. I just want you to look at me and to know, and it's cool. Mm -hmm. I think you can have it with every person. I'm not, you know, but this is my general experience with dating with a black body and just, it's you okay. Don't want to explain. I don't have to explain. Yeah. It, no. uh, so we're talking about the connection between, you know, two black bodies or people of color. How do you think that LGBTQ plus people of color can unite forces globally? Do you mean, if I'm understanding the question, do you mean like how communities here in the Netherlands can actually com connect to communities in Nigeria or to communities in, in Belgium? Everywhere in unite or... forces and like fight together. Because I, think... I also feel like there's different communities everywhere, but True. is there a united, you know, fight? Uh, there's definitely a united fight. Uh, fight. We're fighting things, uh, maybe structures nationally, but they also work globally, right? And also globally, uh, we have uh, structures or com communities, institutions that can hold uh, governments, etc., etc., accountable, thinking about the UN or other structures. And how people can come together, it... It feels like a practical question um, rather than a philosophical question. And being part of, you know, I've went to different conferences or connecting online or just, you know, connecting to other, other uh, fights. You know, I don't want to say be active, see everything online because not everything happens online. But um, a lot of connection for me happened going to conferences, international conferences, um, getting to know people there, uh, connecting with uh, international activists, connecting our fights, seeing if we can support each other in our fights, seeing if we can use money, collect money here to support others there, and vice versa. Um, 
and yeah, practically the best way I've seen. I've, yeah, you have to use the internet if you use me a, <laughs> a practical question. <laughs> I would say go on internet or connect to international activists, uh, international uh, um, um, events that are happening happening right now, and try to connect them. Mm. And also, I think a general I, a general philosophy would be nice for everybody is no one is free until all of us are free. Yes. So if you keep this, you know, as a as a as a principle, <clears throat> then you know that your fight is always connected to others. Because yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And what would you say to people that? Because you said there's a lot of people having misconceptions about you, thinking you hate white people or <laughs> whatever. What would you say to people that? do not always understand your message or where you're coming from? Um, engage with it. Engage. Uh, question why it frustrates you. Why does it make you mad? Why do you want to go against it? And I guess there is where the answer lies, right? Not even sometimes the conversation with me. It's the conversation with yourself. Mm. Why do you get frustrated by my message? Why do you get upset? What does it do to you? And if you find your answer within you, we can keep moving. But if you don't know why it frustrates you, then you can come to me, but I can explain, I can explain thousand things to you why I said what I said. But if you don't understand why it frustrated you to go back to yourself, then we don't have a conversation. So I need you to understand for yourself why does it frustrate you? Because that probably says something about your privilege and position in life, probably. <laughs> And then we can have a conversation uh, about that. But I'm always open for conversations, as long as they're, you know, um, respectfully. Yeah. But you also say that people should do their homework, right? Definitely, definitely. But the moment that you hear my message, probably you're somewhere out there. <laughs> maybe not doing your homework. In the middle of a self-reflection. <laughs> so if you get my message, you're, my, you're, you're somewhere. In the process, but of course, but that's why I say go back to yourself. Yep. And when you go back to yourself, you have to do your own uh, research and your own homework. Because yep. why does this frustrate you? You're saying homework, but which books or documentaries or I don't know, music or whatever um, would you recommend people to dive into? Depends on which kind of people you're asking me. If you're asking me white people, I would say go maybe to withhuiswerk.nl because then you have white people explaining white people why racism or other things are not okay. Um, you can check Gloria Record, of course, Philomena Asset. Uh, let me think who uh, Dip South just uh, put out a book of Sister Outsider, uh, a translated version of, um, yeah, Sister Outsider, translated in, in, into Dutch from Audre Lorde. That's a good one, I think, for a lot of white lesbians, but also queer people to read. I think it's a real good book. I think everybody should lead, read actually Audre Lorde. Everybody needs Audre Lorde. Everybody. <laughs> um, of course, follow my partner, uh, Clarice Gargard and Lilith Mack. Um, Lilith Magazine, they are very busy also with this. Um, who is, oh, the Black Archives, of course. Kick out for the Pete. <laughs> and for your own community? Uh, the Black, uh, Black Queer and Trans Resistance, follow Black Pride, but follow also, um, you have the Color Collective in, in, in Utrecht, who are doing awesome, awesome things. You have Trans United, please follow them. Um, you have Southeast United in, in, in Amsterdam. You have... Um, uh, Queer is not a manifesto. It's also a good group to follow. Um, 
big Marrakesh, you have a lot of organizations that people should follow and check out and uh, for them to be informed, but also to be connected to mm -hmm. other members of the community, other level, other, other um, fights mm -hmm. within the community. Shen Network uh, is also a good one. So, so much already out there for people. Yeah, there is. There's, there's yeah, still a lot of people that don't understand. Do you feel like a lot of people don't want to understand or do you think it's more nuanced and complex or do you think it's too hard for people to understand that do not have experiences that we had? I think it's a combination of all of those things. I think one of not wanting to understand, not wanting to listen. I think a lot of people are afraid that they have been guilty some way some way in, in enabling maybe oppression, supporting oppression. I feel that people, a lot of people are afraid of, of making mistakes or understanding that, yeah, how do you say this the best? Because I feel a lot of times people are afraid of understanding, afraid of what it might tell them about their history or... Ignorance is bliss. Yeah. Ignorance is bliss. But I know it's not only... Because I don't believe it's purely ignorance. I, be, I believe there's something in it that people, uh, yeah, or maybe that's my thought, but I truly believe that sometimes people do know, but refuse to be educated. Because that education might also produce pain, frustration, discomfort. And why would you go through this process if you're comfort? Mm. If, you're comf if, you're, if you're chill, if you have the comfort, if you're in comfort, why would you change that? Why would you engage with something that might give you headache, mm. that might you know, frustrate you, that yeah. might hold up a mirror against you and say, hey, you're biased. Hey, check your privilege. Check yeah. the way you think or say certain stuff. And that's why I, I don't always want to leave it in a passive ignorance, but sometimes in an active ignorance, not wanting to participate in this um, in this um, Just living process. your life and not caring, basically. Yeah, but actively, because yeah. sometimes we think it's ignorance is like this uh, passive thing. Oh, people are ignorant, so they don't know. But I feel sometimes there's an active ignorance there yeah. and an active... Refusing. Refusing to engage. What gives you hope? Well, the fact that this conversation is here, the fact that we are on this platform having this conversation, I can, that's, that gives me hope. That means that people on different layers of society are catching up with the conversation and are giving platforms for us to amplify this message. So that's already one. It's keeping it here simple. But next to that, I really see a shift happening, you know, in the Netherlands. And I really see things changing. And because I see change, that gives me hope. That gives me hope. And really um, placing myself in this historical context perspective and understanding that we came, <laughs> we came a long way. And I'm really proud on where we are because I don't live the same life that certain ancestors lived. <laughs> I don't live the same life. I live a different kind of life, but we're not there yet. And really participating in this fight uh, for freedom and hopefully knocking the door a little bit more open than my ancestor did and those who did before me gives me hope. And just this, yeah, shit are changing. Things are changing and uh, yeah. It will, it will continue. To end on a, another positive note, uh, Dr. Martins, 
provided you with a certain amount of money that you can, you know, offer to charity. Um, which charity did you pick? Well, I'm actually going to send it to the motherland. Oh, well, the motherland, actually Curacao. There's an organization, there are organizations actually that are um, trying to create a safe space. Uh, Curacao doesn't have that yet, so I would like to make a donation to... Um, safe space for? Uh, for black LGBT uh, people and also for, a for um, HIV... Uh, uh, testing. Testing, like an HIV clinic, there's a LGBT, a black LGBT clinic. There are different kinds of clinics for this community and they're wow. trying to create a safe space. And it's called Foco Curacao, Foco. So I'm... How do you spell that? I'm not... We'll put it online. Okay. Foco, Foco, Foco Curacao, Foco. So they do yeah. HIV preventing, they do... Well, uh, they, like, they are part of this whole group that are actually trying to create a safe space. So Foco Curacao, that's, um, that's organized by... Uh, one of the founders is Marlon, Marlon Reina. And Marlon Reina is really my gay father, you can say, my Caribbean Curacao gay father. And he and uh, Mario Kleinmoedig, um, is another gay father on Curacao, they have an organization that's called Foco Curacao. And together with Igualdad Curacao and other clinics, other uh, H the HIV clinic, et cetera, et cetera, they are organizing now a safe house. So I'm donating to Foco with, um, with yeah, for them to uh, pay uh, the rent. Develop. Yeah, to develop, pay the Amazing. rent. And, um, and we have great. a side yeah. note. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to say it? Side note. Yeah, we doubled it! Hey! Yeah. So amazing! Good safe space. Oh my god, they're gonna be so happy with it because they're really searching for money to pay their rent and they don't have, this would not cover everything, but it would cover a little bit. So double, it's done. Yeah. It's done! And we're so happy with having you here. Thank you for your time. Yeah. Obviously, you speak about these subjects a lot, but these I understand very much that these sub subjects go very deep and it takes a lot of effort. So I'm really thankful that you took the time to talk with us. Thank you so much. And Tommy. you're always, uh, always, yeah, teaching. Thank you. Thanks for the invite. Thank you. Yeah. The wrap. Yeah.